Hello and welcome to the Empower Therapy and Coaching Podcast. Hi, I'm Sarah, co-host with my husband Lee. Together we are partners in life, love and business. Each show we will share insights and host interviews on relationships, therapy, emotional coaching, addiction, self-actualization and personal growth. So settle in and enjoy the show. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Empower Therapy and Coaching Podcast. Today I'm going to chat to Dave Watrin, all-round interesting gentleman, uh, been a teacher for many, many years, we'll get into that. Uh, he's also fostered for two decades and is a member of our men's group. So Dave, the first thing I wanted to explore is your teaching career. So just tell everybody how long you've been teaching for. Yeah, so this is, uh, thanks Lee, this is my 31st year in the classroom, uh, primarily uh, in elementary level. So here in the United States, uh, I'm, I'm year six. Um, I have taught up to eighth grade and then all the way down to third grade. So what kind of age range is that? Year six is what, like 11? They're, yeah, they're between 10. They're, they come into me between 10 and 11 and they okay. leave 11 or 12. So they're moving on to uh, secondary school here in the States after this year so have they uh, have they started to be teenagers at that point or not quite got there? oh yet? yeah that's that's exactly why i like teaching this age level because uh they have a more sophisticated sense of humor so you can be a little bit sarcastic with them and and they get it and they don't take it personally and and then they are testing the waters so they're they're limit testers which keeps me on my toes and and really there are no two days that are the same with any of these kids especially when um when puberty hits, which it does for many kids during during this time period, so wow. that hits. It's been it can be real interesting, but it but it does keep it fresh for me, and uh, you know, it keeps it keeps it new every day. Every day is new. Interesting, and all bets are off when puberty hits. <laughs> right? No, absolutely. <laughs> and you, you said so. You've been doing this thirty one years. I mean, that's incredible. Give us a brief overview of how teachings changed during that time. Well, um, my first year I had a, a blackboard with white chalk. <laughs> so, so the just the technology itself has changed. And now I'm teaching in a distance learning environment um, completely virtually with students using Google Classroom and everything is, you know, we're using uh, Google Classroom, like I said, and Drive and Gmail and all of that. So we've gone from what some would consider uh, pretty much archaic technology to pretty high speed thing. So I have kids that they can film video and send it to me as part of an assignment. And yeah, it's really interesting. It's, like I said, it, the learning curve has been pretty steep the last couple of uh, few months with the onset of the pandemic and how yeah. things changed. Yeah. So I'm interested with that. Uh, you know, one thing I, I, you know, Facebook, I see people posting like, we've got to get kids back to school because this pandemic is ruining them because they're not getting FaceTime contacts and they don't understand how to read people's faces anymore. Um, you know, what's teaching like in uh, a pandemic? What's teach what's remote teaching like? Oh, it's, it's roughly, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm, I'm a person, I, I'm a teacher because I like to be with people. And so I sit in my classroom all day by myself, interacting with kids virtually. Um, and in my district, the students aren't, aren't required to have their cameras on. So right. I try and incentivize having camera on just because for me, then, then I can see their face. And I, I do a lot of reading of facial expressions and body language. And I can't do that with uh, 
a large circle with a student's capital letter in it. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's been a challenge. Um, and then all of my students, like myself, we, we opted for the in-person hybrid model. So at some point, if schools reopen, we'll be back in a classroom. Right. And I, uh, some kids, yeah, there's some kids that thrive in this kind of a learning environment. They just want to be left alone to get their work done at their own pace. And they're thriving and others that they need, they need someone there, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I know from like thinking about how I run groups and uh, you know what I've done, uh, cycling courses and stuff like that, and working with groups of people like audience interaction so important. And I can tell by looking at the face of the audiences whether they're engaged or not, whether I'm pitching this at the right level, whether I'm losing them, whether I've got to wake them up. You know, sometimes I'll right. pick on the audience to, to wake them up and to get them engaged. So. I feel for you there. If they're not required to turn their camera on, you don't even really know they're there. And it's really, you know, it's more than that because I have these segments of live interaction where uh, I have instructional academic input and then they're left on their own for independent practice. Right. So, you know, if they don't reach out to me through email or come to a, a live, I hold live tutoring sessions during the day. If they don't come to one of those, I have no idea until I yeah. go to assess whatever work they've turned in um what's going on so yeah it makes it it makes it very difficult and uh, and, and this is and this is pretty new so is this the first semester you've done like this or, or were you working before like this well yeah so the, the first like this which is full full bore um integration of technology i have a master's in educational technology uh way back when and so i've integrated technology in my teaching uh since 2000 since 2002 Right. And, and pretty, pretty adeptly, but this is definitely, um, you know, it's virtual learning. You're, you're learning, and I have 29 different learning locations, you know, besides school, so. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, where were you based? Where's the school based? Uh, so we're in Riverside. Right. Well, actually, I, I teach a half mile from home, so the commute's okay. a rough one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're still required to go into school to do this yourself, are you? I, I'm not. Right. But um, I, I can teach from home or from school. But one of the benefits for me is that um, if I come to school, I get up in the morning, I shave, I shower, I put a tie on. You know, there's, uh, there's comfort the first day I pulled into the, to the, I came to school and like, oh, I'm at work. Yeah. There's an <laughs> emotional know, shift, isn't there? The lines were blurred last spring. We yeah. all worked from home. We weren't allowed to be on our school site. And so wow. work and home just kind of commingled um, for me in an unhealthy way because right. I, I ended up just having work on my mind all the time because it was in, kitchen, in the kitchen at the table. So I worked crazy hours and every single day and it just wasn't healthy. So for me, I, it helps me to compartmentalize life. So even though you know, I do work, most teachers work at home at some point during the day, um, you know, grading papers or planning or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it has helped me to compartmentalize. And then it's given me, you know, purpose like, hey, you need to get up and go to work. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah. I know, you know, somebody who now, uh, you know, spends a lot of time working at home. I know how important it is to kind of block times out to do various tasks yeah. and also to say, right, that's the end of my day. Or you can just keep working and working and burn yourself out completely. That's right. Okay. Um, so let's move on to kind of how that's then led into you doing fostering and what exactly that is and how you do that and how you started doing that. 
Yeah. So, you know, Lee, we have uh, an extremely large family, um, my wife and I. We have three biological children. And then back in 19, gosh, it would have been 1998, uh, we began the process of fostering children that were part of the county foster care system. So we began bringing and, and children into our let's home. Let's just stop you there a second. What, what yeah. led to that? What, what, what was the decision around that? And did you have your own children at that time? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, so we had three, three children at that point. Okay. Um, our oldest was 10. Our youngest was, she was five at right. that time. And there were just- and three wasn't many... enough, Dave. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> why, why have three when you can have nine? So, okay. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, we just- you know, Lee, we just grew weary of hearing about foster kids, an overwhelmed foster care system. And then there were a couple of uh, instances where foster kids died in the, in the homes of their foster parents. Yeah. And that was just a catalyst for us. Like, how can that happen? A kid that's been burned by their own parents for whatever yeah. reason now goes into, a, into a, a county home and ends up dying at the hands of abusive foster parents. And I thought, we just can't. Like we've, we've watched this go on too long. It's time to do something about it. So we embarked on it and, uh, you know, we ended up adopting six out of the seven kids that came to our home. Uh, over. So, so we how had, many different children have you fostered over that period? Well, it's actually just been seven because we found this pattern that if they came to us to live, we ended up wanting to adopt them. So <laughs> we only so had you. So you've adopted six out of the seven. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the seventh had, had he, he been available for adoption, we would have done that as well, but right. we ended up going back to his mom. So, okay. Yeah. Are you still in contact with him now? Oh no, no. Um, we have, so one of our adoptions, we, we've adopted sibling, two sibling sets are, right. First, our oldest three adopt adopted kids are siblings. Okay. So to us all at once, and then wow. we have a pair of brothers who are placed with us on an emergency shelter agreement. Yep. They were supposed to be there for thirty days, but it's been eighteen years now. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so we took in sibling sets, and then our youngest we we got her at two months old. She came to us at two months old. The little guy came to us from the hospital. He was two days old and uh, drug, drug exposed in the womb. Wow. We, spent the, we had him for uh, about five months. And then we got a call out of the blue one day. I was at work. Sharon gets a call. Hey, we're going to come pick up so-and-so today. We're going to come get him. Oh, wow. We had, never, we, we had never seen the social worker ever. No phone calls from the social worker. Nothing. Five months. They had no idea if the kid was even still alive. No clue. And then called. I, I've never seen, um, you know, my wife's a British citizen and, and the Brits are very calm and collected, as you know. But once you cross the line, that's it, right, Lee? So <laughs> that, that social worker, bless his heart, <laughs> he crossed the line. And my wife took care of her business in the only way that she could. And we ended up getting granted 24 more hours because the kids were at school. We were at school. We had spent. I had spent the first three months in a rocking chair at night, rocking this kid as he came off of his, you know, heroin and drug dependency. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was unbelievable. And he was just jonesing for, yeah. for, for what he had been exposed to. Wow. It took us three months to get him to the point where he could lay him down at night and he would sleep. So, wow. you know, he, he was ours all intents and purposes. He had become our son. Yeah. And, uh, 
but the system decided other otherwise. That oh, was real heart wrenching for us. Yeah. And we, we at that point and also like, think of the trauma that that must actually have on the child. Yeah. Well, any kid in the system or any kid that's being um, neglected or abused, they have attachment issues already. Yeah. You know? So all of all of our kids in one sh way, shape, or form, all of our adopted ones, have reactive attachment disorder in some way, shape, or form. It just makes it difficult to connect with them on a super personal level, like you would with your own child to be held from the moment they were born. You know. Yeah. Just a different. It's a different kind of a situation. So I'm curious about that. So, so how have those relationships grown and been maintained as the children have got older? Yeah, it, you know, it, it's interesting with our own kids. It's so easy to point to a, um, a way they act and go, oh, that's your side of the family, dear, for sure. <laughs> like that's a, that was what your dad used to do. Or Dave, that's the way you, you would have reacted back when you were a kid. So, you know, um, it's been interesting to watch just the, how the relationships evolved, you know, because it, it's not, there, there are children on paper, there are children in our hearts, but we don't have any of the genetic, genetic, no, there's no genetic connection yeah. at all. Yeah. There's no genetic connection. So, um, to watch some of our, our adopted kids as they've grown fall into the same patterns that their parents did has just been like, well, how, how did you end up here when you had a completely different upbringing? But then you realize, well, that's the genetic pattern woven into their family over time. You know, I, I used to be a real big believer, Lee, in, in nature or nurture over nature. Yeah. And I've got to tell you that this experience has led me to believe more that nature probably has a little stronger pull than nurture, you know, but our, but all of our kids, they're, they're good people. They're productive adults. They just have their different, their struggles that we as a family don't really identify with because we haven't had that similar experience yeah. on either my wife's side or my side. So, you know, we still love them and support them as best we can. And, and we make those connections. Um, each kid's a little bit different. So you connect with each of your kids in a different way, but we still have good relationships with all of them. Yeah. Well, you think how different, you know, I think about my brother and sister and how different we, you know, all are. Um, so you have those differences in your own family makeup, with right. similar genetics. Right. And then, as you say, like you add exterior genetics into that and then how different that can make people. And, and like you, so I, I don't know if I've told you, I think I have, that my mum fostered 100 kids over a 10-year period. Wow. Um, I knew she had fostered. That yeah. Well. So it was about hundred over a 10 year period and they're all high risk and mainly short term. I think the longest was a couple of years. And, you know, like you, I, I saw the big impact of nurture. Um, and then as I've studied uh, physiology, more genetics, more I've realized just how much of an impact genetics has as well. And, right. You know, right. people are in some ways predetermined for particular traits and that doesn't mean you have to behave like that because you still get a choice and we'll come to that. Right, we'll yeah, talk about the yeah. men's group work in a minute, but right. you know, you still get a choice, but it can make it much harder. You know, things like addiction can be hereditary and it can right. be much harder to come out of that pattern. Um, I don't know if you saw it. There's a great documentary on um, three identical brothers who were separated at birth and huh. all given to different families. And then they discovered each other. I think they were in their early 20s when they discovered each other, just completely by chance. Wow. And 
some of the similarities that they had that you wouldn't expect them to have that clearly must have been genetic. So it's a really interesting case study in the difference between nature, nurture, uh, and just, you know, but, you know, they, they could finish each other's sentences the first time they met each other. It wow. was amazing to watch. I'll try yeah, to find I've heard, it I've heard stories yet. of that twin separated at birth. Yeah. And, yeah that, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. So <clears throat> let's delve a bit more into this foster care work um, or really more adoption of foster care work, I guess. So at one point you've had nine in the house altogether, plus yes. you and Sharon. Right. <laughs> 11 in a house yes. yeah how <laughs> well honestly you, you uh made a comment about isn't three enough you know <laughs> you're, with your first child it takes you x amount of time to get out of the house to go anywhere with your second you add it's x plus 15 minutes and with your third it's x plus you know you just add another five so it's x plus 20 after yeah. three it didn't take us any more time to get out of the house. It was just, <laughs> you have never ending laundry and you're feeding an army. So, you know, it's just the second highest bill we had monthly besides house payment was food expenses. Just when we tracked them, we're like, oh my gosh, we're spending almost as much on food as we do to put a roof over our head. Uh, and it's just, you know, I'm surprised you don't spend more on food than putting a roof over your head. Yeah. Yeah. And, and life, you know, it's just a perpetual busyness and craziness, which yeah. you know, I'm sure we'll get into that kind of a um, more talk when we talk about men's group, because that's been a particularly poignant kind of uh, discovery for me yeah. just since the pandemic hit. But yeah, it was just nonstop, nonstop hub of activity, which my wife thrives on that. She loves the busyness, the more the merrier. <laughs> um, I have a, a, a level of tolerance for it that's probably greater than most, but I do have my limits. I like that. I want to, you know, I still am looking for my man cave. Don't have a man cave. <laughs> There's no space. Oh man, you need yeah. a man cave. Oh, I know. I've been, I have been uh, advocating for a man cave for decades now. You need <laughs> somewhere no to retreat to for sure. <laughs> yeah, to no avail. Oh wow. So, yeah. You've got to go build yourself a shed. you got a garden? <laughs> a he shed, huh? <laughs> you just got to go build yourself a shed, mate. A, a right. shed with a padlock on it that only That's you know right. the code to. <laughs> well, sometimes I would just sneak out into the into the yard and go sit in the pool area and fall asleep. <laughs> I come back. Where have you been? It's it's been two hours. Oh, I was in the pool area just sitting down sleeping. So, <laughs> yeah. I went out to recharge. I just needed to yeah, get away. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel you. So, you know, it's just me and Sarah here and that's about my limit. So I have no idea how you cope with nine other human beings. I've offered it before any time. You want to practice. I've got a few. I, I know you keep away. wanting to lend some to me. Maybe one day, mate. Maybe one day. <laughs> I've got some Everybody experience with looking after Uncle other people's kids. Yeah. Everybody could use little Uncle Lee in their life. So, <laughs> so I did, um, before I moved here, I did a, a big brother program in UK. Okay. So, um, I think uh, Che was 13, 14 when I first met him. So I, I worked with him for two years. So I think he was like uh, 16 when I left the UK. And I would see him once a week, uh, to kind of four or five hours. And, uh, you know, we'd do things like go play laser tag or go to the cinema or go bowling or, you know, we'd always try to have some kind of activity or something. And then um, and when I left, I talked to one of my friends, Tristan, into looking after him. Mm -hmm. like it's your turn now buddy <laughs> <laughs> tag, tag you're it <laughs> but you know even yeah, that was pretty so tiring you know that was four or five yeah. hours a week and that was pretty yeah. tiring so yeah yeah 
yeah. don't know how you do nine. And and how many live there now? So how many of you still got? Oh gosh. Um, so we have. Let me see. I've I've got to do a head count here. Sorry. <laughs> One, two, three. We have four plus Sharon and I still, still in the house. Yeah. Like I said, we only have one school-aged child left, and we, we've got some adult children that are preparing to launch. But it's you know it's more difficult to launch these days than it used. They're to preparing to launch, or you're preparing to launch. Well, them? it's a little bit of both. I've got both hands <laughs> hands in their back, and I told them get those wings ready to flap. <laughs> Flapping them. How old? How old's the oldest one? Uh, our oldest is a teacher in Palos Verde. She's 31. And our youngest is 16. She's a, a senior at a local high school. Okay. And how old's the oldest one still at home? Oh, still at home. She'll be 23 in January. I was, I was married and out of the house with a child on the way at 23. So I, I kind of look and I go, uh, <laughs> well, it's I mean, fine. It's, you know, we could, we could get into the politics of, of yeah. how wages have changed and property prices uh -huh. have changed. And just yep. how difficult, as you said, how difficult right. it is to leave home. I can't remember the exact statistic, but first time buyers are something like 10 years older than they were 30 years ago. Right. You know, it, as you say, you know, people used to move out in their early twenties, get married right. in their early twenties, buy their first house or put a deposit on their first house. And now, you know, people are in their early to mid thirties when they're buying their right. first property. Um, right. You know, they're still leaving home maybe in their mid to late twenties, so five to 10 years later, but their first property might be as much as 15 years later. It's a pretty big difference. No, it's, it's a huge difference. And uh, so we've, you know, but we do want our kids to realize that they have to at some point embrace the, the journey towards adulthood. And, yeah. and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, your 10 year plan is to be living with your parents still. So. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a rite of passage, you know, it's an important yeah, thing right. to break away from your parents. We, we spoke about it in this week's men's group with the uh, with one of our guys who kind of mentioned now that he's at university and he's away from the family home, how much better he's getting on with his parents and getting right. closer to them because you have, you have to have that separation before you then can come back and form that adult bond with your parents rather than the parent child bond. Well, and all the nagging that you get when you're at home, all of a sudden makes sense when you're on your own. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it makes sense. I used to think that uh, my parents were, you know, Hey, they're the village idiots. And then I moved out. I'm like, Oh, hey, they're a lot <laughs> They were training me. This was yeah. practice. Yeah, my, my mom, old, like, you got to get your yeah. washing done. You got to get this done. You tidy your room up. I'm like, mom. And yeah. Yeah, now I'm like, actually, yeah, that stuff was pretty important. I, I yeah. needed and, that. And one by one, my kids have called me when they've launched out and they're, and they're making it. Dad, I just want to tell you, you're a lot smarter than I gave you credit for. And I said, what have I always told you? I'm a lot smarter than I look, you know. <laughs> Give me a little more credit here, kid. So, so yeah. So tell me a couple of things that you've learned from this process. Like what's, what's some of the striking things that you've learned from, you know, one from the fostering and two from just being a father to so many children. Yeah. So, you know, it's probably, it'd probably be a couple of obvious things, but you know, every, everybody's different. <laughs> I've learned that and I've had to embrace that. Yeah. You know, growing up college was, was the avenue towards adulthood. Like you graduated from high school, you went to college. And so my sisters and I, we followed that path. That was the expectation. And when my oldest followed that path, I'm like, all right, here we go. Well, she's the only one to attend college out of the wow. nine. Wow. So, and, and everybody has found, I've had one of my sons enlisted in the, in the Navy. He's finding his way. And, and my other adult children who are working and living, you know, 
making their way through life. So I've kind of had to adjust that, that there's no one set path, you know? So it sounds obvious, right? Everybody's different. And, but the end is the same. Like I want my kids to be good people. When at the end of the day, I want them to be good people and function in society as productive adults. And so they're all doing that in their way. It's just, they've all gotten their literally nine different paths. <laughs> if you mapped it out. So that's, that's the big takeaway for me, um, which has been helpful as my grandkids start going to school and I start seeing the differences in their personalities. You know, it's, yeah. it's helpful. It's helped me in my career because, you know, I realized, oh, hey, all of these kids, the end goal is for them to be productive adults to get there and be productive and participate yeah. in society and, and all of that. So that's, that's the biggest takeaway. The second one is um, that I'm, I'm more capable than I give myself credit for. So, you know, when we started um, fostering, we wanted, we were literally wanting to take kids into our house that we could adopt that were adoptable out of the gate. So our house sat empty for three months. We had this beat up old four tourist station wagon and we had it all planned out, right? Oh, so we bought a minivan, seven passenger minivan. All of a sudden it was like, well, now we have our five, plus the one kid we're going to adopt, plus, you know, they can bring a friend. Three months go by, no kids, no calls for kids that are clearly adoptable. So we called our social worker back and said, hey, we'll open up. We will take kids that are potentially adoptable and we'll consider sibling sets. So that we get a call a week later, it's a sibling set of three. So <laughs> first we say yes, you know. Right so now I have a, three new kids. <laughs> yeah. So now I have a seven passenger minivan and I have eight people in my family. <laughs> so, Someone goes so, in the boot. <laughs> yeah. So, so much for the, the best laid plans of mice and men, right? We went out and had to buy a 15 passenger used commuter van and that's what we used to transport our family. And it was expandable to, you know, 13 others beside ourselves. Have but you yeah, seen, have you so, seen the Keeley family, the Courtman family, many, many van? <laughs> I can, I can only imagine. I can't I can remember it's like imagine. an ex-fire truck or something. They've got this big red van. So <laughs> Keely is a, is an athlete that I coach. And there's, I think there's, yeah. is it 12 in her family with her? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a big family. Yeah. Yeah. So um, those are two things that, that everybody's different. Their pathways are different. You know, if you have a common result you want to see, you know, it, it doesn't matter really how people get there. They get there in their own time and space and, and yeah. their own way. And then um, I'm, you know, I never imagined having nine kids, but now I never could ever imagine not having nine kids. So it's it shifted my focus from what we thought, I, you know, what I couldn't do. My wife was from a big family, so she understood the dynamics. She was race ready to go. And I was a little more hesitant because a smaller family, a lot less control over things, you know, a lot more financial responsibility. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a burden. I mean, you know, I just want to stop for a second and say, wow, you know, recognize you and Sharon are just like, what an amazing contribution to society. You know, what a contribution to those kids' lives. You know, what might have happened had you guys not been there for them. So, you know, so impressed, mate. Like, that's such oh, a, an you. amazing thing to do and such a, just, yeah, bloody awesome.
So, yeah. So how were you feeling at that point? Well, so, you know, the pandemic was, was, uh, it, it slowed things down for everybody. <laughs> I mean, honestly, we, it, life almost came to a stop. Yeah. And I, I, I went through a single tank of gas the first nine weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one tank of gas. So instead of $40 a week, now I'm down to, you know, what is that? $10 a week or something. Yeah. If that four to yeah. $5 a week in gas <laughs> just to get around. And so, um, it slowed me down. And, and that for me was troublesome, honestly, Lee, because I had a lot of time on my hands. I had a lot of time to think. <laughs> and, and I can sometimes suffer from analysis paralysis. I, I overthink things. But what struck me is that um, I really felt like I needed something different from my life. You know, what the stillness of not having to get up and go to work, being able to not shave for days at a time. I was still working, but I walked from, you know, one end of the kitchen to get the coffee to my work off my work table at the other end of the kitchen. You know, it was, I was there. I was just home all the time. And, and I found myself with a lot of extra time to think. Yeah. And I realized <clears throat> that um, I was uncomfortable with that. Like, <laughs> It was, I was really uncomfortable with it because I had spent so much time being busy. I mean, you can only imagine with nine, we're just nonstop, go, go, go. And then you add to that teaching and other things, you know, track cycling that I do and all the time go. So now the three times a week I would drive down to the track, they're gone. <laughs> I'm not doing, I'm training, doing all my training at home, you know, teaching that's, I'm now working from home. Uh, the nine kids were now just kind of, you know, we're, we're all still. So as a, a middle-aged man, I began to, I began, you know, I'm thinking about things like seven years from retirement. I'm, I'm a grandfather. Now we have seven grandchildren with the eight, eighth on the way. And I, and I want to be, and I know that I'm not quite who I can be. So that's okay. what really kind of hit me right between the eyes with the pandemic. And I struggled because I don't have um, I have, I have a couple of close friends, but they're going, we're all middle-aged guys. <laughs> they're kind of going through the same thing. So, you know, we didn't really, um, I didn't really have any outlet to kind of talk about how I was feeling on the inside as being incomplete or something's not quite right, or there's something yeah. missing here. You know, it's a thousand piece puzzle and you're missing that one piece. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's something we hear a lot in the work that I do is like, you know, outwardly, my life seems pretty good and functional and I'm successful and um, but something's missing and I don't know what it is. A, and also a lot of people can't be still with themselves. Right. Like that's a really scary thought to be still. And especially somebody like you, as you said, your life is so busy, then all of a sudden, bang, like life right. is half as busy as it was. And, you know, I definitely experienced that too you know, going from being at the track five days a week, coaching or training and, you know, at the gym four days a week to suddenly none of that. Mm -hmm. And just being here and mainly by myself, like all the time. Yeah. It's, it's quite a big change. So what attracted you to being part of a men's group? What was the attraction there? And, and um, let's explore how it was compared to what you thought it was going to be. Yeah. So the men's group came, at the perfect time for me personally, because like I said, I didn't, 
Now, I, I work in a female-dominated profession, so I'm the only male on my staff. There are 30 of us, and I'm, I'm the only male classroom teacher. There are other wow. male support staff, but I'm the only male teacher. Um, I live in a house where my, my sons are all gone, and so I'm in a house by myself. I'm the only male at home. So if two, <laughs> there's a lot of, lot of only male. So, so let me just do that math. So there's, what, six, six women at home still or something? That we've got, like, five women at home? Yeah, yeah. Good yep. God. And so, <laughs> yeah. And, and, combine, and they're 16 and upwards. Combine that with, with oh. no man cave. Storm, <laughs> <warm>, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so um, the men's group came at the perfect time because honestly, Lee, it'll sound crazy, but I'll say it. I felt like the loneliest person in the world. <laughs> I did. I did. So when the invitation came for the men's group, I thought it's an opportunity to start to connect because I, I don't have um, sustained significant relationships with other guys. Um, years ago, I did, I had breakfast with the same group of guys every Sunday morning at 630. We did that every week and we had an accountability group. It was oh, great, but cool. that was 25 years ago. Yeah. And since then, I've had nothing. So, yeah. you know, as a struggling male and realizing that I need, there's got to be something different. I thought, okay, the men's group is, it, I'm going to give it a try. Worst case is it, it doesn't meet my need, but I'll never know if I don't try. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And then what was your preconceptions? And then how was it compared to what your preconception was? So you joined the group. What was your preconception before? Yeah, it's, it's turned out a little bit, a little bit differently than I thought it would be Lee and, and in a good way. So um yeah, initially I thought it would be much like the the Sunday breakfast group that I had. Hey, how was your week? Anything you're concerned about? You know, is there anything that you want to talk through? Um, very loosey-goosey, really no structure. Um, but it was just guys getting together and, and talking about life, you know. The men's group has been that, but it's been so much, there's been so much more structure that's provided me with, uh, you know, these coat hooks, you know. So now I'm learning about, okay, identify your feeling. Like that was the first thing you had us do week one. We want you to feel one of these, what's your feeling right now? Well, someone that never has done that, honestly, other than when I'm really angry and it's obvious to other people that I'm really angry, you know, to, to have to sit and think, okay, how am I feeling right now? It was, it was weird. It was weird. But, and so it was a bit awkward for me on a personal level, the first several weeks, cause I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in this virtual setting again, another virtual meeting, yeah. <laughs> eight guys that I don't know, some from other parts of the world. And now I'm sharing how I feel with complete strangers, which nope, <laughs> nope. I, I don't just walk, you know, have you seen the, the credit, the iPhone commercial where people, my credit card number is, yeah. I've researched three divorce attorneys today where they're <laughs> announcing these outlandish things in public. I'm thinking, okay, that's what it, what it would, what it feels like. But I've been pleasantly surprised at how much I've gotten out of it. And the realization that there are other people that feel like me, <laughs> there are other guys. It's, it's always, like there is. And it's always fascinating to me. Like when I start the groups, you know, the first two, three weeks, like, as you say, everybody's like, hang on a second what's going on and yeah. like i'm just going to hold back and then there's one guy that breaks you know there's one guy 
uh, I think you probably remember it was in our group, one guy that kind of like, right, this is what's going on for me right now. And once that happens, floodgates are open, everybody right. feels kind of okay to jump in and kind of say what's going on for them. Yeah, so yeah, I think I know the same instance, uh, the giving tree story. I thought, oh my gosh, that that's exactly how I feel. What what courage for that for that man to share that about themselves week two. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, and it gives you permission, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, nothing. He, he's shown his he's shown his you know, he's shared his story, and nothing's happened. Like you know, he's okay, and, and the group's okay, and nobody's given him a hard time, and nobody's teased him or taken a piss out of him. It's like it's just been welcomed and accepted yeah right which is so opposite to um experience and just in life in general yeah. right so yeah. uh, when i reflect back on how is how i was brought up you know boys don't cry you you don't show your emotions you you know you hold your cards close to your chest your emotions are for those closest to you you don't you don't uh, you don't feel and and so the business was a comfort to me. It was like a security blanket being busy all the time because I didn't yeah. have to, I didn't have to be with myself. Yes. <laughs> you know? And now all of a sudden the pandemic hits, I'm with myself. I'm like, oh no, I, I'm not really comfortable with myself. Like I'm not really happy yeah. with who I am right now. Yeah. You know, part of that journey was I was in a, I was in a working a, a job I didn't really like. I mean, you remember that the first yeah, yeah. yeah. listening to me gripe about my job. So the, the men's group has helped me help me process that and and then supported me in my decision you know and made me feel like hey I, I had to do that for myself right as part of my um, ongoing health I had to make a decision that would that would make me prosper more in the future physically mentally emotionally all of that stuff so that's been really a, a nice pleasant surprise for me Lee and continues each week to kind of surprise me and I've been particularly thankful just for the tools that you that the empower staff has given me to use you know they're not just one-offs where you just use it once and throw it away these are these are strategies and tools that that when when the group no longer exists for me for whatever reason i can still use them so share, know, like, share one of those share something that's actually made an impact on your life yeah so at one point you had to set timers right and set a timer on your, on your phone, set an alarm four different times a day. And at that moment, when the alarm goes off, just think, take a deep breath. How are you feeling right now? Identify the feeling, which, you know, I'm thinking, I'm listening. I go, that's, that's kind of strange, but I'll try it. <laughs> you know, I'm willing to try anything because I, I know I need better for myself. So I was, um, I've tried everything you said or have uh, the group has brought forth and so I remember doing that and then realizing oh you know I'm I'm have this outward appearance of being okay but right now I'm really angry I'm angry so let's you know identify one of the four feelings that we do on group that was powerful for me because I had never like I said people would know my feelings from my exterior but I had but I had never really taken a chance to inventory myself. Like, where are you at right now? And then from there, kind of, okay, why do you feel that way? Are you angry because you're anxious or fearful? Are you sad because, you know, just to be able to identify it's been huge. And then to begin to connect it to something going on in my life that could cause that. And then going back to again, like, what, what can I do about it? 
What? So <coughs> I, I think you've hit a really. What can I thing? change? You know, all the. There's just such a wide variety of things that the men's tools, the men's group have given me, um, to be able to begin processing, just a, assessing and processing for myself, right? Which is powerful. Yeah, I think that you know one of the big issues for men is we see feelings or we've been told feelings, you know, like you shouldn't have them. You know, mm -hmm. like men are like, Hey, you got to be stoic. You got to not show your feelings. Like you're losing control. If you show your feelings. Right. And actually our feelings are just information. It's just our body and our mind telling us what's going on for us in the world right now. And the better we get at connecting with those feelings, the easier it is for us to understand the information they're giving us. You know, if we're angry, there's a reason why we're angry. And if you don't recognize that anger, you know, feel that anger, you get stuck around what's causing the anger and you're kind of confused. Like I'm angry, but I don't know why I'm angry. When right. you get more adept at processing your emotions, you feel the anger and you go, ah, oh, I'm angry and I'm angry in this situation right now. Right. Why is this bringing up anger for me? What is this anger telling me? And now the anger isn't something to be ashamed of or to be worried about. It's just information. It's just saying to you, hey, there's something you don't like about this situation. What is it? And is it your own right. behavior or is it somebody else's behavior? Is it something you need to deal with? You know, talk about, you know, your job and you were kind of angry about the previous job and some sadness around it because it wasn't the right thing for you. And then once you start connecting that personal anger with mm -hmm. the role, you're like, this isn't serving me. I need to change my role. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then to be able to go home and have, you know, instead of going home and saying, hey, Sharon goes, hey, how was your day? Yeah, it was all right. End of discussion, right? I can, I, can, I can actually open up a little bit more and say, you know, oh, I was really angry at work today or this was made me really happy at work. Like I'm really, yeah. so then it, it, helps, it helps me to begin express it in a, in a healthier way rather than keep the anger inside, keep the anger inside and then kaboom, you know, volcanic explosion of anger, which doesn't yes. do anybody any good, right? No, not no. My I, loved I, ones, not myself. People so. see... Um, like, you know, so, so we work with four basic emotions in the men's group. So it's sadness, anger, fear, and joy. And people see anger, fear, and sadness as like the bad emotions and joy is the only good one. And actually they're all equal. They're, they're, all they are are completely equal. They're just a physiological and psychological response to some kind of stimulation or some kind of stressor. And they're just information, you know, and anger should be good because anger can be healthy if we experience it in the moment and go, oh, I'm feeling angry. What does that tell me? Or oh, I'm feeling sad right now. What is that sadness telling me? It, am I hanging right. on to something in the past I haven't let go of yet? You know, and, and fear is usually, you know, can be about anxiety, which is about the future. So I'm feeling fearful. Right. What is it I'm feeling fearful about? You know, what is it that I think is about to happen that my body is telling me could be an issue? And identifying that just makes it much easier to navigate through the world. And, you know, one little uh, tip here, you know, any, any women listening to this, you want to have those conversations that you keep saying that you want to have with your guy where he's a little bit more emotionally available, buy a place on the men's group for him. And, uh, you know, we'll teach him how to, to be a little bit more emotionally available and you can have those more in-depth conversations if that's what you want. <laughs> and there, right. is, yeah. there is an answer here for you. Yeah, so, and I'm fine. I don't need the timer right anymore, you know? Yeah. I catch myself mid mumbling. Yes. I'm like, okay, you're upset right now. What's going on? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, you can't get this plug in. 
Yeah. <laughs> Take a moment. Look, look at the USB thing. Make sure you have it facing the right way and plug it in, dude. What's the story? <laughs> you know? Oh, men and, men and stuff without reading the instructions. I will not read the instructions. I'm going to smash this thing into bits before I read the instructions. <laughs> That's right. And then right. many a time. Right. So uh, give me some examples of, of how what we've done on the group has played out in your life with your relationship with Sharon and your relationship with your kids. Is there, is there anything you can kind of think of that's been helpful there or differences yeah. that have come? So we did this exercise with, um, and you'll have to help me with the wording, with shadows, right? So yeah. they're like a coach and challenger. We're kind of opposing <laughs> Oh, so that's um, that's the drama triangle. Drama triangle. So the Thank Kaplan you. drama triangle. So you've got um, the three unhealthy positions, um, which are the victim, the persecutor, and a rescuer. And then you have the healthy positions of those. So you have the challenger, the coach, and um, oh, the other one's escaping me. Um, challenger is the persecutor. Uh, the rescuer becomes the coach and the victim becomes the something like the doer. Yeah. Yeah. So I had um, shared a situation at men's group about um, where I, with one of my adult children who I'm trying to get to transition into adulthood away from our house because it just, I'm highly frustrated with the way she. Both hands in the back. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, um, the group kind of called me out like, Hey, you're more of a challenger in that case. Yeah. You know, how, how, how can you, and we talked through how the conversation with her could change. Uh, well, no, we, we, it was, you were more of a persecutor in that right. case and you needed to move to being the challenger rather than the persecutor. So the persecutor is coming from a position right. of kind of looking down, you're doing yeah. it wrong. This right. is wrong. As opposed right. to the challenger would be, Hey, have you thought about trying this or, you know, how would it be to try that? It's a much more, you're on a similar level and you're kind of offering rather than telling. Right. So we've worked out this three month transition plan as a, as, as a result of that, where she's actively looking for apartments that she can afford to move into yeah. is um, finding a job that has, is actively employed and, and I'm, I'm cutting her slack on, monthly bills so that she can save her money for the down payment with the goal of, you know, three months from now, she's going to 2021 is her launch year. So instead of you have two weeks and then you're out of here, it's, Hey, let's, let's talk about this because I'm, I'm flustered at, at how, what I'm seeing and we need to come to some kind of common ground and understanding here. And, and I want you to be successful and I love you, but you know, we have to, we have to move forward. So we have this three month transition program all set up, which has been, which has been helpful. So she, you know, I know if she could choose, she would, she would choose not to do the three month transition program, but she is, she has a job, full-time job now, and she is actively looking for an apartment that she can afford. And it's discovered she will not be able to afford to live, to live in Riverside. Like, I don't think I could afford to live in Riverside. So, and I live in Riverside, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, so that's, was super helpful. Those kinds of things where I want to take you back there and see yeah. if you can recognize what the difference was in your emotional state between the persecutor and the challenger. What was there was there was something there you just said. Yeah, well I I, I kind of came I came to understanding that that I was frustrated, right? And so what's frustration with her 
as much as it did my expectations weren't being met. So, so what's frustration? Uh, that, so. No, not what's your frustration with her, but what is frustration? Oh, frustration is just, um, you think the outcome should be different than it is. It's not, it's not, something's not going the way you think it should go. <laughs> but what's the feeling you're having instead of frustration? What is oh, it really? Anger. Anger. Yeah, anger. yeah. Yeah. Thanks for leading me to that. Why <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> so recognizing yeah, anger. the anger in the situation, yeah. you know, cause that's what you did. You recognize yeah. the anger in the situation and how your anger was affecting your behavior. Mm -hmm. Recognizing it and you go, well, this isn't helpful. I know why I'm feeling it, but it's not helpful. So now I've noted I'm feeling that, right, let's take a different approach, which is let's be the challenger rather than the persecutor. Right. Let's take my personal anger out of it. And then right. the person's usually much more responsive because when we display our feelings outward, you know, so we call projection. So I'm going to project the feeling I'm feeling and I'm going to blame you for it. So as you said there, you have an expectation, right? I have this expectation. You don't have an agreement with her. So it's an unfair expectation because she right. doesn't know your expectation really you know you're like right I need you to go and she's like whoa hang on a second dude <laughs> right, so then right. as, as a challenger you make an agreement instead of an uh -huh. expectation so an expectation is something that we have that the other person is often not party to and then when you make an agreement it's something that's agreed between the two of you which is clearly what you've done now you're like right here's our three-month transition plan rather than they hey you got two I'm pissed off and to, to stop me being pissed off you right. got to get out within two weeks Right. And the other yep. person's like, wow, where did this come from? Because it's <laughs> yeah. been building up inside of you and right. they've not been aware of that. Right. And then suddenly, bang, that explosion. Yeah. That happens in a lot of our relationships where we have this expectation of how we want somebody to behave and what we want them to do, but we haven't actually clearly expressed it to them. And then the second part of that is we have to get their agreement. You can express whatever you want. If you don't get the other party's agreement, it's still an expectation and you're likely to be, as you said, disappointed and frustrated because they're like, hey, I don't agree to that. So then we have to find that compromise that, that leads to an agreement where you can go, okay, I right. agree now. Now, I see where you're coming from. I agree. This is, right. yeah, maybe it's time for me to fly the nest, but I need a sensible way to do that. Like it's too scary for me to just go in two weeks. I need to be financially set up. I need a secure job. I need to understand that. You know, I can find apartments I can afford and all of that stuff. Yeah. And with Sharon, likewise, you know, just uh, I think she's heard more about my job recently than she has in the previous 30 years because she always got the, uh, hey, how was your day? Yeah, it was all right. It's okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Time to move on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've all been there. And, and you, you struck on something I wanted to bring it up that you struck on earlier that I think is so important for men of our kind of age where, you know, many have had kids, the kids are leaving home. And then suddenly, as you said, you know, even without, you know, add the pandemic onto it, it's much worse. But even without the pandemic, suddenly there's this loneliness because they have more time. You know, the kids are gone. They've got more mm -hmm. time. As you say, they probably haven't spoken to their wife properly in years because most of the conversations have been around, hey, what are we doing with the kids? What are we doing here? You know, it's right, stuff. you're right. talking about chores you're talking about staff you're talking about business you're not talking about you and them you're not saying right. hey you know what does our future look like and what excites you and hey you know where are we going to go traveling when we retire you're talking about daily tasks and so right. much of our energy gets taken up on daily tasks that there isn't much energy left for that and then and suddenly the kids fly the nest and your right. job situation might change a little bit 
and then it's like, oh, I've got all this time. What do I do now? <laughs> right. Yeah. And and really, it was, uh, you know, now now we're in the house all the time. You know, Sharon used to used to joke with me during summer break after the third week of a nine week summer break, when does school start again? You're driving me crazy. <laughs> but the pandemic. No, not the kids is, are driving me crazy. You're driving yeah, her crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the pandemic has been, we've had that time yeah. together. And what I, what I realized, I think what we both have realized is that we've spent a lot doing for others, but we haven't really tended our own relationships. So yeah. And that's, we, that's so normal. Yeah, we drove our son across country to Virginia. He was with us halfway, and then we drove back by ourselves and took eight days to get back. And it was just us. It was a great, great time just to be together and to rediscover each other the way we knew pre-nine kids, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's why you see, you know, that's why suicide rates for middle-aged men are so mm -hmm. high because the relationship ends um, either with their children or with their partner because they haven't invested into it. You know, you hear this all the time from women, like he's really busy, he doesn't care about me. And the care is probably there, they just don't know how to communicate it or what conversations need to be right. had. Right. Um, because you fall into these patterns of not doing that. And then all of a sudden it's like, right. You know, the woman's like, okay, kids are gone. Let's get back to like we were when we first started dating. And then the guy's like, I don't even understand how to do that. Like, what do you, right, yeah. what do you mean? What does that even look like? You're right. Um, and, and, and then there's just the loneliness. Like, you know, uh, I really appreciate you sharing with us. It's courageous of you to share that you felt lonely. So here's this guy that has a family of 11 and he yeah. was lonely. Like, how the, how the fuck does that happen? Yeah, how that, can you that have was, a family of 11 yeah, and be lonely? Like I said, it, it was just so weird. I'm like... <laughs> How how am I feeling lonely when I have a house full of house full of people? Like that just didn't even fit right. Yeah. So then I realized, oh, that's that's on me. Yeah. <laughs> that's not anybody else. You know, the loneliness is is clearly sits on my shoulders. And so what am I gonna do about it? Yeah. So it was the was the like I said, just timely. It couldn't have been time better for me personally, but it's it's given me that ability to kind of reconnect with, hey, here's who you are and here's how you move forward in a healthy way so that you don't have to feel lonely. So, um, you know, I don't, if, if things are still, I'm okay. Like I'm so much better with things being slowed down and not being running all the time and busy, busy, busy. Uh, I, I'm actually okay with that now. Like I can sit and have oh, a couple of things think right. about absolutely nothing and not feel, you know, lonely. So I kind of want to wrap this up. And the last yeah. thing I want to explore is, what it's like uh, as a man to have relationships with men. So um, when I first started doing men's work back in the UK, I was in my, uh, my mid to late 20s. And I went to store um, an osteopath, so that's the uh, equivalent in the UK of a chiropractor here in America, having issues with my back. And I went and saw the guy and he's like, hey, you need to see my friend James, he's a therapist. And I'm like, I'm a man. <laughs> I don't yeah. do that shit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Don't talk to me about feelings. <laughs> and one of the things he said to me was, you know, you should join a men's group. I, uh, you know, he, he was in a men's group and he was like, there's nothing quite like, kind of like the companionship, like being held. And he, meant, he didn't mean physically, but he kind of meant like being held in the space of men. And he mm -hmm. was like, there's nothing quite like it. I didn't really know what he meant until I joined a men's group. And, you know, most of my close relationships have been with women, really, you know, like, and they've been romantic relationships mainly. Um, 
and and then I kind of realized that you know what I thought were friendships weren't really friendships like right. they were conveniences you know like we went clubbing together we played sport together but right. we didn't talk about stuff and then just the difference of going into this men's group where I was actually really seen and challenged and guys were like hey what's going on for you You're like we can see something's going on for you this week what's happening like what's going on and and just that space to talk with you know other guys just sitting there and listening to me without the bullshit you know without the mm -hmm. protective banter you know the kind of banter where you know people are seeing your vulnerability and they're using it you know, as right. to score points against you rather than kind of leaning in and going, hey, I recognize that in me too. And I'm glad that you're sharing that. And, you know, if there's something I want to kind of get across is we still have banter. You know, they're still piss taking in our group and in our WhatsApp chat. You know, it's not like there's no fun. It's not like there's no, right. you know, right. humor because they're still piss taking. They're still humor, but it's just not cruel anymore. You know, that kind of humor that's taken advantage of somebody's position or vulnerability or something, you know, that's just gone. And the humor now is so much more good natured and welcoming. So that's something I really enjoy and, and being forced to switch like that myself, mm -hmm. you know, like not having that kind of, you know, put someone down humor instead. It's much more playful humor and it's much more fun. So I'm kind of curious how those relationships are playing out for you and kind of, you know, what that has added or how that feels in your life. Yeah, so I think guys are at the map are masters of surface relationships. Yeah, like I can I can meet any guy and talk sports. I can yeah. meet any, <laughs> any guy and just BS about work, politics, you name it. Just go on and, on and have absolutely no connection to that person. So I can have a conversation with someone in the grocery store line, another guy in the grocery store line, don't even know his name, but we chuckle, laugh. There's no connection, and then you yeah. never see the guy again. You know, I think we're masters as men at that. Um, and so the men's group has, you know, we're, we're below the surface. Yeah. There's some little surfacey teasing that goes on, but, but we're below the surface. And what, what uh, the particular instance that really hit it for me was when we shared um, pieces of gold and one offering of concern. Right. And I, it, it was interesting to me. I'm like, I wonder if these guys really know who I am. Cause you know, still, you know, I shared some, some pretty heavy stuff in the group up to that point, but you still, you know, you still have a couple of cards close to the chest. I mean, we all, we all do, right. I'd be, I'd be lying if I said that all of my cards were on the table. I think yeah. all except for a couple are on the table. Right. So, um, but one after one, when they offered their one concern was like, Oh, they really see who I am. Damn, these guys see like, me. They <laughs> know it. It was nice to hear all those positive things. You know, it was so nice to kind of realize that. And then how you told us, we can only say thank you. We can't respond. We can't give it back because I'm uh, the way I've operated over the years is I haven't always said thank you. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, you just don't know me all that well. So I've been self deprecating in yeah, receiving yeah. Of, of any kind of compliment. And so it was hard to say, oh, thank you for that. But the real eye opener for me was, gosh, that guy nailed me. <laughs> I, emailed, <laughs> I emailed the guy that nailed me afterwards and said, And I'm curious, had you ever met this person better. in real life? I'm sorry? No. Had you ever, right, yeah. This is one, one I, of the guys I, that you've never met. Yeah. Yeah. One of the guys I never met. We did that exercise and I'm like, yeah, that's me. Exactly. You know, and his feedback was you're measured. 
what you, the, the feedback you give, your responses you give are articulate, but it's obvious you've thought about it. You don't say much, but when you do, you know, you've thought about what you're going to say. It'd be nice to see you just share from the heart more often rather than have everything planned out before you speak. Calculated, like, yeah, a little, oh bit, gosh, a little bit more is, instinctive versus calculated. Yeah, that is me to a T. So I emailed him <laughs> and thanked him for that because yeah, that's, that's been me. My, my motto has been, if you don't have anything, if you don't have anything valuable to say, don't say anything, you know? And so I've taken that to the nth degree of just, I'm only going to say something when I really thought about it, you know, rather than being more like, you know. And yet it's so to. interesting, the, the little things that we share that can be so impactful. Yeah. You know, like you can just right. share one little thing. Hey, I just see this. And you're like, whoa, where did that come from? And like, right. oh, wow, yeah, that's really me. And I didn't even realize it myself. Yeah. But that's that's not something I've had in my life for a long time. You know, I haven't had guys call call me out for who I am or who they perceive me to be. It's, it's hard. been It's been really more of, hey, you're a good guy. Hey, you know, I have friends, Lee, but none of them <laughs> would have said that. So I think in well, some it's, ways... you've got to build up that um, you've got to build up that trust. So, you know, it's very, we do that carefully, like the way the group is yeah. designed, yeah. like week to week is to, to, to build the trust up. So some exercises are kind of, you know, like more sharing and some exercises are kind of more cognitive models of ways to behave in the world or, or, or recognizing behavior in the world. And it's, it's a walking step designed to get you to the point where you feel, you know, uh, safe sharing stuff i mean i hate the phrase safe space because that's kind of overused but it is it's a container where you're safe and you know that you know for people listening one of the most important things about the men's group is the rule that we do not discuss like mm -hmm. particular details outside the group so you don't talk about the men in the group like you know you can share your own experiences that have happened in the group but you don't talk about you know the names of the guys you'll see on this. We're not talking about names. We're not, we're not naming who's in the group. We're not talking about their experiences. We're only talking about our own experiences. And, you know, that's really important because then you know that whatever you share in the group, some guy isn't going to run off and tell somebody else. It's just contained in the group. Uh, and then what that also gives you is it gives guys the vulnerability to be challenged. And I know personally, one of the things I most want in life is to be challenged. And I don't often get challenged. Uh, and it's like, I want people to challenge me. I want people to call me out on my shit. I don't want people to see it. And, but I want them to do it in a loving way. Not a, you know, you're an arsehole when you said this. That's not helpful. It's like, hey, I see this going on for you right now. You know, and then I see that spilling out. Like, you know, what's going on? How are you? Like, what's behind that? You know, that's real right. challenging rather than, the, you know, just the, the kind of, uh, you know, the spiteful sticking at somebody because you don't like what they've said. It's seeing the man behind that, the wound behind it that might be causing that behavior and saying, hey, I see that. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, so there's that saying, iron sharpens iron, right? And yeah. I really feel like men's group has been that, been that for me. Iron sharpens iron. So you have eight guys, nine guys that come on the call each week and, and really is about helping each other be better. Yeah. You know, so it's not malicious. There's no malicious intent. It's a genuine care that's been built over time. And the, and the thing I just shared, Lee, I think we did that month five. Like we had spent five months building trust yeah. before. Yeah. Hey, let's, let's, let's do King's chair activity and let you guys sit and listen to what other guys have to say about you. You know, it's powerful. Yeah, I, I think that's a great space to end it on. Iron sharpens iron. I think that's perfect. Yeah. I should probably yeah. use that as a marketing slogan. <laughs>
<laughs> so it's been lovely. Thank you very much for sharing oh, your life with us, David, and your, your experiences in the group. I really appreciate it, mate. My pleasure, Lee. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you like what we do, please engage with us at Empower Therapy and Coaching on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Or check out our website, empowertherapyandcoaching.com. Please tell us what topics you'd like us to cover, who you would like to see us interview, and any suggestions you have for the show. To work with us, email info at empowertherapyandcoaching.com. We look forward to hearing from you.